five, four, three, two, fun. Welcome to another episode of the Ready, Set, Pwn podcast, your premier podcast to do with everything Ronald Devine and the Vancouver Titans. I am Chris Satellite, the voice coming to you from the great Overwatch 1. Joined virtually as always by Omni at OmniStrafe. Welcome, Omni. Hello, hello. How are things? Eh, not too bad. Um, you know, I've just been keeping busy, watching a little Overwatch, learning more about the fact that Bastion is, you know, next level. It's all in the hat. It is, right? I mean, you throw a hat on anything and suddenly it becomes OP. You think it's like um, part of a big picture, like where they go off the deep end, like Valve did with uh, Team Fortress? (laughs) (laughs) It could be. It could be. Yeah, but it's hard to believe. Sombra's hacking my Palo. It's so weird to, you know, consider that we're now past two full seasons as a podcast. Like, we had a great season. We had a less than great season. Who knows what's going to come next? Well, we're, you say two seasons. We're actually past three seasons no, as a podcast. But well, I mean, we had, like, because the second season is when we kicked off. No, but I mean, like, with both teams' format. Oh, okay. True, true, yeah. true, true. There we go. Okay, 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 okay. See? This is in the past. You have to it is, adapt. It is. <laughs> well, you know what? See, it, it's obvious that you and I, we don't know what we're doing half the time, <laughs> right? We, there's, there's a synergy missing between the two of us. So You're being uh, generous with the half of the time, but yeah, I'll, I'll take I, it. I, I'll maybe take I'm, it. I'm, I'm, I'm overselling it. Okay. But the point being is I, I felt it was important to maybe provide some more stability to the show. And, and, and uh, when I was away, I found that you and uh, uh, Jordan, Sir Dr. JM from uh, the One Man Watchpoint podcast had some good synergy. And I figured, you know what? I think Chris is the problem. So I thought so too. What better option than bring Jordan in to replace (laughs) me, right? So, yeah, with us right now is Jordan. Well, hello there. I mean, it's like you've been sitting here the whole time. It's, it's, I actually just stumbled across this, uh, found you guys recording and thought I'd sit down, give it a try. Bumped, bumped into us. Yeah. That's right. I mean, it, it's a, it's a crazy end to the the Overwatch League season, where uh, you know we're swapping like hosts from different podcasts, and suddenly the three of us together. I mean, I'm not entirely sure that RSP can support this much uh, change all at once. Maybe we'll start covering a new uh, new team soon too. Maybe we won't. That's true. <laughs> well, I mean, so not just that—a new game too. Yeah, a new game. <laughs> All three of us will start wearing hats. Everything is new. Yeah. But uh, no, we are uh, here with uh, Jordan joining Omni and I. We're going to talk a little bit about the end of the Overwatch 1 era as we knew it. Uh, the playoffs are uh, said and done. Spoiler alert. The purple haze did not happen. No, <laughs> it, it, it crashed and burned fairly quickly. Um. But uh, one might argue the purple haze didn't exist because the flame from the mouth of the dragon oh my. Uh, set them all free. That's right. Congratulations to the Shanghai Dragons, who went from worst to first. 
Who would have thunk? Someone, someone hit the uh, applause on the on the soundboard. We can do like a, a fake one. That's true. I mean, <laughs> if I if if I was more prepared, I would have the uh, the soundboard set up, but I don't. Um, we'll get into obviously all of the results uh, and how Shanghai found themselves into the grand final, where they got themselves the win. We've got awards being handed out. There's roll stars being handed out. We got news on Overwatch Two. We got news on characters getting hats. There is a lot to talk about. So let's uh, let's just start pushing this payload. Moving the payload. Join me, guys. I I, I won't lie. When I was putting the rundown together, and I, I noted what are we going to talk about in the payload, I noted that both the Titans and the Defiant exist. And originally that was a placeholder. I was thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to go back and see sort of what they've been up to in the past week. And it's not to suggest they haven't been up to anything, but I think we'd reached this point where both of these teams were sort of on the outside looking in and that's what they did. They enjoyed what we were watching. I mean, both teams held um, sort of grand finals watch parties. Um, both were quite successful, um, different sort of approaches. Uh, the Defiant were giving away some like crazy prizes um, they were giving away credits for people referring them to the Discord. Like they went all out. <laughs> now the Titans, they handed out some pretty good loot too. You had the the team talking, players chatting, which I thought was kind of neat. And that's something that I think the Titans have really started to do more of. But beyond that, they really weren't all that busy. Yeah, yeah. It, it seemed like behind the scenes as well. Like we already getting some rumblings of rumors and what things might be going on and. Uh, Titans and uh, Defiant weren't included. So I think it's just a, a time for reconsidering their options right now. Or maybe they're just working hard, you know, as, as those dates we discussed last week uh, are approaching fast. I mean, one thing I I was talking to uh, some people who were also watching the games about is imagine being these these teams at the start of the season and you look forward to the end to plan your content out and you think do we need to make the graphic that says Vancouver Titans number one, we're the winners, <laughs> you know, well, that, that's or, a bit of a or stretch. Or do we maybe just hold back on making that graphic right now? And uh, I'd, I'd be curious if, uh, if the Titans, especially, uh, you know, decided to do that or, or if they just held off. I'm going to guess they held off, but you know, I'm, I'm not much of a, a gambler, so maybe I'm just taking the safe bet. I, I think if we consider sort of where the Titans were at the start of the season, they knew what was in front of them. And if there was maybe, maybe they didn't know as rough as the season it would be, but they knew that they had a, a tough go. And I think if you watch their thank you fans video, you can sort of see the players acknowledge it. Um, like Rolf, especially like he was quite candid. It's like, Oh, I know we didn't you know, perform very well, but you fans stuck around. So that's why this one win. And he like, he says that one win was, was, was good. But mm-hmm. I, when I look at the defiant, I think the defiant had maybe their eyes on something mm-hmm. bigger. Yeah. And that's not to suggest the season was, was, you know, unsuccessful mm-hmm. in so much as to whatever their sort of, longer term plan happens to be but i can't imagine the defiant were thinking they'd be on the outside looking in when it came to the actual playoffs yeah for for the titans i i agree um that one win was 
felt kind of special, I, I, I guess, because the expectations were fairly low and the performance was uh, even lower than that. And if I recall correctly, uh, the Overwatch League even had this countdown of the 10 clutchest or whatever they called it, uh, best winning moments where they uh, po- shown yeah. a little bit of the team chat. And the Vancouver Titans win against Boston was like number two. And it's funny because a lot of the other uh, matches there, you, you see the same kind of level of emotion and reaction from the players, but they were like finals games and, and whatnot, yeah. uh, except for that one uh, Titans uh, match. And for the Defiant, yeah, I agree. I think, look at a team like Atlanta, right? We, we discussed it a little bit, and I think... Starting the season, they might not have been... Uh, the expectations were probably about the same for both teams. But look at one, where one team finished and where another, like, defined finish. And I, I, I'm I, sure one of these teams is way more pleased with, with the results than the other. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely agree with that sentiment. I know going into the start of the season and everything, um, uh, one of the things I said after one of the first maybe the first couple weekends of games, one of the things I said was it looked to me like after seeing both Toronto and to bring in another team, Florida play, Mm -hmm. I largely thought they looked like they were still finding their groove, but they had the potential if (laughs) they could learn to work with each other and really synergize, cooperate and Mm -hmm. find that team element and I think, I mean, Florida, obviously, things happened. Toronto, I think, was getting there, especially towards the end. They were really getting close. Um, maybe in a longer season, things would have been a little different. But I think a team like Atlanta is a perfect example of they did. You know, they found it. Um, they found what worked, whether that's coaching, whether it was, you know, the team figured out how to work with one another. Um they're the the success story, if you will. Yeah. You know, and I, I think it's fair to suggest that, you know, Toronto's play in the play-ins was unfortunate that had them get picked by San Francisco, mm-hmm. right? Like, they, you know, Omni and I sort of chatted about how when we, we looked at that matchup and how those two teams played, Toronto brought their A game. Like, it wasn't like yeah. the San Francisco shock just came in and rolled over them. It was hard fought until the the last map. But, you know, if Toronto doesn't run up against the Shock, who at that point seemed like they had something they wanted to prove, Mm -hmm. what's not to say that they don't find themselves booking flights to to go to the Aloha State, or at least making the complicated transit possible, being that they're based out of Canada and all that, but we'll we'll never know. What would have ultimately taken place? At least they're not in Alberta. Sorry, continue. <laughs> well, I can say that because I'm in Alberta. <laughs> I mean, some of our listeners are like, I don't get the context. That's okay. The context is Alberta is not a place you want to be right now because of yeah. things. But go on. Yeah, yeah. The I think I was listening to another podcast and they were calling it the you know what. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know what? Um, but no, yeah. I think it. You know, we've we've summarized quite well where the defiant found themselves and and yeah if the season was a little bit longer if they didn't run into you know what themselves like they had a number of players uh out because of it early going which probably you know really changed how the team was one approaching 
not only their weekend and gameplay, I mean, Aspire got signed last minute because they needed a player. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and again, I'm I'm a big Aspire stand here. But the point is, you know, throwing him in sort of last minute, him finding his groove, the team finding groove around him. That does not happen, you know, just overnight. It had to grow into the experience. So, right. Yeah. Did is correct me if I'm wrong, did Toronto make any of the tournaments this season? I'm thinking back, and I feel like it was one at best, but I don't well, know they, if they made any. The earliest one, I think they did. No, no probably not they, to Hawaii, they, but no, no, uh, no, they never. Not, I mean, not to Hawaii. To Hawaii. Yeah, oh, well, they, yeah, they did. Like they they made into the sort of the the stage plans a couple of times, I right. would say. Um, but uh, you know, ultimately, what were they? I actually feel the stage plans were far more difficult than the playoff plans were. Yeah. More, more competitive, more, more you've got sure. more to prove at that point because you're trying to get to Hawaii and some teams yeah. will, you know, let off the gas a little yeah. bit once they get there kind of thing. Yeah. And it was also tough because every time you'd get like either play to get to play in with a hero pool and, and the meta was a little bit tougher to prepare for, I guess, in some instances mm-hmm. during the season. The only reason I bring it up is simply because of the number of matches. Because Vancouver is obviously the, air quotes, worst case scenario where they had the minimum number of matches they could have possibly had this season. Um, whereas Perhaps Toronto... They weren't the only team. Of course. Definitely not. <laughs> there were others. Um, but, uh, you know, like I say, just more have time, you seen- more matches... Have you seen the sideshow video uh, rant about the Valiant? On that note, I haven't. I heard about it. I have not seen it. <laughs> he calculated their map win uh, ratio, and it was three times worse than season one Shanghai. Hmm. Yeah, wow. more than three times even. I mean that that season that's or you know in the second season of Overwatch, but expansion season, so season one for Shanghai, there were some matches that were close mm-hmm. like yeah. you know shanghai gave a, a good run to a number of their opponents just didn't yeah. work out and especially considering what three stages was the goats era and they just weren't mm-hmm. a good goats team they had that uh mid uh, season also upgrade um during season one where they brought in a ado who popped off on the genji i remember but it wasn't wasn't enough, but apparently still better than uh, this season's uh, Valiant yeah. squad. LAV. Oof. Oh man! In our future episodes, when we start breaking things down, it'll be uh, interesting to to sort of look back and and wonder what Ooh. went to, went down. But on that note, we will look back at both the Titans and the Defiant in in much better detail than sort of we have here. Um, it just made better sense to talk about it because again, both teams currently exist. And while we're recording, they could very well be making plans to go and, and spread the news as to, to what they're up to. Um, the trade, uh, or I don't know what you want to call it. The trading period is open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's possible that, you know, teams might go and swap players around, but uh, as far as uh, options, those uh, team held options are are executed. I want to say this weekend, if memory serves me correct. It's uh, 
been a week since we talked about it. I'm going to look at the dates. So exercise options. Yeah. October 2nd. So that's this weekend. And then, uh, anyone whose contract expires becomes a free agent for October 9th. So we're, we're probably not going to see a whole lot from, I think the defiant in the next couple of weeks. Um, we might, I think, see more about the Titans. I just don't get the sense that the Defiant are looking to make wholesale changes. Although history has been, you know, rather surprising on the, on the Defiant front, but we'll see. I, on paper, yeah, it should not be as different for the Defiant, but who knows? Yeah. Well, I'm saying we don't know. I mean, I say that yeah. now, and suddenly speculations. Players start- you know, players start saying, I'm retiring, I'm leaving, I'm going <laughs> to Valorant. Teams start saying, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Paris Eternal, get rid of Avala for two minutes and before bring bringing her back. her back. I mean, <laughs> any anything's possible. I think uh, the winds of Overwatch 2 are blowing as well. Just yeah. to throw like, a wrench in things. Yeah, well, it, it, and I mean, we'll get into that a little bit into the fray. But it's just interesting to see some of the conversations that are happening and in different team discords. Um, I genuinely believe as much as Overwatch 2 as a game is very similar to Overwatch 1, we're seeing obviously player reworks and a 5v5 format that does not appear to be changing anytime soon. It does open up a lot of questions as to how teams are going to plan for a season on a game that I don't think they've had a lot of access to. Like, what are they like? how are they going to hold scrims unless there's an, an early, early version that they're, they're getting to use. But then how does that like, I mean, to me, then word starts getting out. You tell the players, here's what the new game looks like. Guarantee players, especially those in scrims NDA or not, they're young kids. They'll mm-hmm. talk. Yeah. There so. was a, there was a big discussion on that on over on plat chat, uh, today or so where where they talked about the fact that um just the logistics behind getting the game to people to play ahead of time if that's if they're going to have that option um Mm -hmm. and how many problems that potentially has behind it right yeah well let's send them platinum laser discs (laughs) the updated versions still uh anywho um we'll be back in obviously uh, a week's time to talk more about the titans of defiant and how they themselves are going to approach uh, the overwatch uh, 2 format for uh, overwatch league 2022 uh, but we'll take ourselves a short break here before we dive into the fray cat out of the bag at the top of the episode the shanghai dragons won the purple haze that omni was predicting well for a moment i thought might have been possible it got snuffed out real quick yeah. um my uh my grand plans of possibly seeing the shanghai or shanghai the san francisco shock find themselves into uh, a final and potentially uh potentially have an opportunity to three-peat i didn't say they would did not come to fruition but if there is one thing that I can say about the playoffs was that even in matches where it was a rollover, 
it was still an entertaining experience. I might say that the grand final was a little bit more dominant than I might have liked, but it's hard to argue against the dominance as being a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you. The playoffs were great. My purple haze plan (laughs) didn't work out. Apparently there was a red haze coming up when, in the form of Atlanta, which I'm sure nobody expected. Oh, no. Uh, my bracket fell apart. We're going to talk a little bit about that, too, I guess, after. But it fell apart. First day w- went fine, except for one game. But then it's just like, you know, it, the way it snowballs, it's pretty impressive. I remember looking at the world leaderboards, and after day one, there were like eight or nine uh, perfect brackets. But day two, boom, there was no one left. And, and yeah, it's been pretty crazy. And with story of Atlanta, I don't know. As much as I'm a fan of a Cinderella story, uh, it's just the way that Shanghai just like stomped them was quite underwhelming because we had such a great, you know, week leading up to it. Huge buildup. I guess like you can't blame Atlanta. I'm not saying like their run to the finals wasn't impressive or they didn't deserve to be there. Like, of course, they absolutely deserved it. But it wasn't competitive at all in my eyes. Like, even the maps that were uh, kind of close, Shanghai were literally experimenting new comps that never played on Atlanta's ba- best map in King's Row. Uh, yeah. You know, we'll, as you said, get into it. But if I recall, I had said, I think Shanghai is looking to get rid of their toughest opponent in that first match. And I'd sort of referenced Jordan, how you had said, you know, wouldn't it be cool if you picked the best team to sort of, you know, showcase how good you were as mm-hmm. opposed to picking the team you feel you can best win against. Now it might've been Shanghai thought they best could win against the San Francisco shock. But when they go and they set that three O in a dominant fashion, like the San Francisco shock to this point, were rolling yeah. and Shanghai was like, uh, we're better. Thank you. See mm-hmm. you later. Yeah. It was, it, it, it was no stopping them at that point. It was interesting for sure. Um, I actually, I'm looking at my pickums right now and I had the entire winner's bracket correct in terms of the winners, not the scores. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the loser's bracket is where things quickly fell apart. <laughs> um, I had the first round correct as well, but after that, oh, and minus the final. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I had hoped for a lot more in that final as well. Um, like you say, Atlanta looked good, but again, it came down to that. Well, was Shanghai playing alternate comps? Were they almost playing with their food a little bit, unfortunately? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, not to discredit Atlanta, because I think they did. Sure. They fought for it, right? That's that's mm-hmm. the thing. You could tell they were fighting. They were trying their hardest. And I, I really did... I wanted them to get a map at least, um, but yeah, I feel like their fuel kind of ran out pun unintended here <laughs> uh, towards the end that it, of course at the start, I think they started out in Ilias and there was a fight there in, in ruins where they looked good. They came out aggressive and like, I thought that, Hey, they might be dangerous right now because they might come into this game with like with the notion of way we have nothing to lose. We can just, you know, we only will get this one shot, but once they figured like the the gap was that big and and Shanghai weren't gonna do 
uh, weren't going to go down like Dallas did or, or the Gladiators. Or, or It's actually quite impressive, the teams that they beat in the loser's mm-hmm. bracket. And at that point, I felt like Atlanta were like, okay, we're, we're just happy to be here. Because I'm sure even, well, obviously with every like competitive player, uh, they all want to win and they all like come to take it all. But I, I, I'm sure that nobody really in the back of their minds was, was expecting them to be at the final matchup. And I'm, yeah, it's all obviously speculation, but that's my thought on this. Well, I don't think Atlanta thought they'd be in the final matchup. Yeah, that's my, my point exactly. And that's why maybe at the end they're like, okay. Uh, I mean, I, like, it's right. unfair from my end. I'll just finish with the notion. It's my unfair from my end to say that, like, obviously Atlanta beat Dallas, San Francisco, like I mentioned before, like three ones, and it's definitely well deserved. But something, and I might be completely wrong and talking out of my backside, but something in me tells me that the finals wouldn't go the same way. Uh, if they had played Dallas or San Francisco, it, they would still win. Mm-hmm. Shanghai would, but I don't know. It's just like a gut feeling. Obviously, I have nothing. It wouldn't have been for Overwatch. Yeah, that's what I, I I think, and it's not. You know, it's not really. I had I don't have evidence to back this up, but it's just a gut feeling. And. It's it's interesting because I mean I'm looking at the Friday games where Atlanta really caught fire um, mm-hmm. in the losers bracket. There, they played back to back, and yes. first they beat San Francisco, take you know, uh, three peat my backside as uh, was it Gator or Hawk <laughs> said at the end of the match there, um, and then they followed that up with with a win against Dallas. It both of them in a three one fashion. Um, and it, it honestly, you know, you, you made a comment that you don't know if they thought that they would be in the final. And I almost wonder if that's the difference maker. Um, you know, Dallas makes it all the way and then loses on Thursday to the mm-hmm. Dragons yet again, dropping down to the loser's bracket. If they had come up against Shanghai, would they have had the mental to say, we can beat these guys? after they've already lost in multiple tournaments to them and they've already lost to them in the winner's bracket. I I do wonder if Atlanta, you know, moving down to the loser's bracket um, after that first match, losing against Chengdu, I wonder if the wins they were able to get in the loser's bracket, I mean, they made their way through the whole thing, kind of gave them that push and gave them that mental to say, we can win this. We yeah. can take it. Um, it doesn't matter who our opponents are. Now, the interesting thing was they didn't wind up playing Chengdu again, which mm-hmm. that would have been interesting to see because they've yeah. also lost to Chengdu in previous tournament cycles. So they, they only played North American teams here, which, you know, maybe says something about the competition in the regions, but I don't know. The, you know, I, I look at Atlanta and sort of their journey, and I'm going to go way back in the, the time machine here, hop in the hot tub and talk about a traditional sports example. Um, I played in a provincial uh, ball tournament when I was in my late teens, and we, we were, the best way to describe it, we made the tournament because our region was weak. That's We were the best of a weak region, and so here we are, we're in this tournament, and we actually didn't do half bad. We had a 500 record. 
um, which got, qualified us into the double uh, elims. Our first matchup was against this team that had essentially had our number all season long, and they beat the living daylights out of us. So we then go into the loser's bracket. And the team we end up playing uh, in the loser's bracket was a team that had been upset. They were a dominant team. And in a hard-fought game, we ended up winning essentially by one run in like the last inning. We suddenly had this belief that, well, if we could beat this team, what can stop us? And the matchup subsequently sort of played out where we were playing against teams that um, played more our style and we were a lot more comfortable. It then sets up the matchup against the team that beat us and knocked us into the, the double elims. We beat them and suddenly like, oh my God, we're going to the final where we subsequently lost. <laughs> but I think for us, what was it that, that we found? We found momentum and confidence at the right time. We then proceeded to beat some teams that were almost our quote unquote final to be put into final. And we held our own. We were competitive in the final, but we, we ran out of gas. Um, we, the team, the team we were playing was definitively a, a tier above us and, and we got beat handily. So if I look at sort of Atlanta's journey, you know what? They, they fought yeah. Chengdu, but Chengdu was, I think the better team in that matchup. I mean, we talked about it on the, on the show and, and I, like I was, I was a big, you know, Hunter's fan. I think, uh, Ani, if I recall, you had Atlanta taking that matchup. Yeah. And then, right. So, but we, I think we had each, each of us like, it could go either way. But then to your point, Jordan, where Atlanta is now starting to play teams they're familiar with. I mean, they were going to beat the justice. Yeah. And if anyone had the justice doing more than showing up and getting their participation ribbon, I'd be impressed. I was happy. But what happens is they go and they beat the gladiators who are arguably the better team. Mm -hmm. And suddenly it's like, well, Hey, we've got some momentum. Then what do they go and do? They beat a San Francisco shock team that, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not the shock of old, but still they're not a rollover team. And suddenly anything was possible. And I want actually wonder when Dallas lost to Shanghai, if they truly were like, boomed yeah we we can't do it we've we've faced these guys enough times we've bashed our head against the wall none of our strats work fearless as much as we love the guy and as much as he's the quote-unquote anime protagonist of the league yeah his his ball is only so good and that was a big challenge the first time when shanghai beat them um i actually you you mentioned the shock uh chengdu match there uh shock chengdu no, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shock Atlanta is what I meant to say. Um, okay. And that matchup, I think, might have been one of the best games um, of the, the finals. I actually, looking at the two teams, I mean, I'll be honest, I, was, I, I never cheered for Atlanta throughout this whole tournament. Um, I wanted San Francisco to make it, mostly for my boy Twilight, Um and that match was so much fun to watch because I think you saw both teams obviously trying their hardest. Um, you know, the maybe favorite could have also been the underdog in that situation, you know, in San Francisco. And at the same time, I think what you saw was these moments where San Francisco showed their old dominance. There were times where they played just like they used to. They had yeah. that difference, that that clutch factor that really had them 
winning the team fights or turning a battle when you thought it was lost and things like that. Um, and it was almost like that's what we used to see in them all the time. Yeah. And if they could have sustained that or if they had developed that a little bit more amongst the, the teammates, then that would have carried them through. But they just couldn't get it there. Um, yeah. And that and Atlanta obviously came out on top more often yeah. than Shock were demonstrating that. I also feel like that might have been what caused them to maybe not, you know, try 110%, which they had to. Uh, it's like that, you know, kid at school who always gets, you know, doesn't need to study that hard for, for exams. And he always, you know, relies on that last couple of nights. And usually it, it's enough, right? Because he has this great track record behind him. But there, there's this one exam that might, you know, slap him in the face. And that's what I feel like happened with um, San Francisco at some points. Like those clutch moments. If they were, you know, the San Francisco of old, they would not have even happened, right? So that they kind of let the team, like, t they, they play down to their style. And, and I also don't really agree with some of the lineups that they, uh, they put up. Like, why wouldn't you play Smurf at all in some of those maps that were so Winston-reliant and, and, and we, we didn't really see a lot of ands. We saw, like, Lister and we saw... A lot of super not to say that it's not a good enough team right but i i don't think they would have prepared to you know play the same fashion against mm -hmm. shanghai again or maybe dallas or the glads well i mean think about when we've seen the san francisco shock um have success it's when they they play their like essentially the game to which they want to play they've got a significantly stronger bench than nearly any other team in the league and they can go and swap three players in between maps and arguably yeah. have an even stronger team going into that next map because they're able to go and rotate heroes rotate you know whomever's going to play on what map we saw less of that against the rain and i think maybe on you're onto something maybe ha were the shock looking ahead maybe right like or or is this where to use the, we sort of saw Shanghai starting to potentially play with their food where the, you know, where the shock may be overconfident thinking that they could Maybe. go and experiment Maybe. In, a, in a way like, I don't know, I can't speak to it, but the, if you were to have asked me, Hey, Chris, um, Atlanta's going to beat San Francisco. I would have said, no, you could have said, Hey, it's going to be the, you know, first round of a, the double Eagle. No, it'll be the grand final. No. Like I, there's no scenario that yeah. I have Atlanta beating San Francisco. I think, uh, I think to an extent, even there were points in the season where you would say that as well. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Atlanta caught fire mm -hmm. really. Um, yeah. and shock looked like they were heading the same direction when, uh, you know, just before the, the playoffs and everything, um, they looked like they had caught fire as well. And I think a large part of that, I mean, obviously I'm playing armchair expert here, but to me, I think they struggled throughout the season to really find their lineup and who they, like, like you mentioned, they, they have so many good players. I think they struggled throughout the season to find what the perfect lineup was, what the perfect comp was for them, um, you know, outside of hero pools um, and who really worked well together and that kind of thing. That's why we saw weird stuff like Violet coming over to DPS and, yeah. and things like that. Um, 
and I, I have to kind of assume that going into the final um, tournament cycle before playoffs, I think that Coach Krusty and his coaching staff probably said, we got to take it back to basics. We got to figure out what what our lineup is, what our A team is, what our B team is, what our A comp is, what our B comp is. Get really good at that or get as good as we right. possibly can be at that. And we're going to have to hope that that's enough. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where the difference came in, is that uh, it wasn't enough, ultimately. Yeah. And they also had always in the past their, their you know, cure-all, really. And while they do have Glister and Nero and they had Ans return, none of these guys is striker. And that's probably had also something, you know, that affected their continuation of success from past seasons. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, and I think it, it it should be pointed out, we're not taking anything away from the Atlanta rain. It's just, I don't, I mean, I, I did any of you have them being as successful as they happen to be? No. And, and this is just us with our uh, three tiny brains trying to like come up with an explanation to why this has happened. Maybe, maybe yeah. it's just, you know. Yeah. It, it worked out. I mean, it, yeah. I think... Any any of the teams in the league, any other team would have would have loved to have been on the run that Atlanta was. Yeah, for I don't sure. think any team would have been happy to have lost for Overwatch to Shanghai. Um, but when I look at sort of how this played out, I kind of feel that the like the best matchup that Shanghai would have probably faced, um, I actually think might have been a, a Chengdu. If if there were because I I believe Chengdu's chaos would have given Shanghai some struggle. Shanghai still wins. Um, I think a San Francisco shock with a chip on their shoulder, um, you know, wanting to prove that, that they're better than three overwatch that uh, they had seen earlier. I don't think Dallas puts up much of a fight, but yeah. ultimately like you look at all the scenarios <laughs> and I mean, Shanghai, Shanghai still wins. wins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I, there was, if you watch a lot of the, you know, power ranking videos and stuff like that, that any overwatch content creator does these days, they always do this, this thing. If, if they include both, uh, both sides, both divisions, um, mm-hmm. they always add in tier breaks and they always go, okay, whatever. These four teams are one, two, three, four in the league. Then there's a solid tier break where you have a skill gap basically. And then the next, could be any, you know, whatever, four to 10 teams are in that middle pack. Then there's a tier gap and then the bottom four or that kind of thing. And I think it was pretty clear this season that there was Shanghai and the tier gap was right after them. And then I think there were probably maybe the next three or four teams and then another break and, you know, so on from there. Teams were moving up and down, but Shanghai always remained there. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, let's look at Dallas. Like the moment it became apparent that Dallas no longer had a um, DPS lineup that uh, could play the presumed meta. Arguably, you know, what they were able to do was completely opposite what anyone would have expected. And I actually, you know, you think about the tear break, I would I was about to say, well, Dallas was up there, but really, I think Dallas almost, I, won't, I don't want to say overachieved, but they were able to do something that maybe wasn't sustainable over the course of a full season where like, whereas Mm -hmm. Shanghai, Shanghai was consistent. 
Like there, if there yeah. is any team out there that was more consistent than Shanghai this season, I don't know who no. it would be unless we're looking at the other side of the spectrum, <laughs> at which point there are a few examples, unfortunately. Maybe with XZ, it might have been comparable, but we cannot really. That, that would be a really... A really nice what if scenario to <laughs> yeah. to find out what if yeah. what if Exe had played with Dallas yeah. because then league should produce their own what if series yeah like Marvels <laughs> what if Ons never hey, left did, yeah what if the Pine... Titans never fell apart yeah. <laughs> did Pine ever play nope, no not a game they they, yeah. they mentioned that on Plat Chat I... today what was the point and I think the the general consensus is he was brought in because they needed a hit scan player. Um, and exit. Well, I know he was in Visa Hell. And exactly, right? Unfortunately. It is Too what late. it is. Yeah. Oh well. I mean, ultimately I mean Pine getting in doesn't change no. really anything. Yeah. I mean, maybe a different look, but the, the, the result that Dallas sees is the same result. Oh. My purple I haze like, though. Oh. <laughs> You, okay, as I said, you were smoking. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I like, though, and I mean, sure, maybe there's a storyline to have a dominant team who three-peats, but I like that it wasn't the San Francisco Shock. And I'm really actually happy that it was a team like the the Shanghai Dragons. Um, the first Eastern region team to uh, get the final. Mm. Yeah. Well, and, and not only that, but like the storyline of how they were oh, able sure. to go and reinvent themselves and... Um, you know, the, uh, RSP cord, I won't say that everyone on RSP cord is, is indicative of, of everyone who listens to our podcast, but I can't say that there was anyone cheering for Atlanta in their journey. Ouch. Um, right. Like it was, but it was, there's a variety of reasons as to why, but when Shanghai was looking to be on a run, people were like, oh man, this dragons team really enjoy watching them really fun to watch. I really hope they to succeed. The amount of talent they had was, was literally insane. And, and again, that's not to slight any other team, but I mean, in some ways it comes back to the, the MVP argument of, you know, if, if you could pull any member of Shanghai, put them on another roster and hopefully I think realistically, there's a chance they elevate those rosters um, oh. quite a bit. Is who are, I, who are you still on on dragons? Is he not? <laughs> I think he was doing. He was in a coaching position, wasn't he? Uh, I don't know. I think Maybe. he actually was at the end of the season. I think you he could take Molly off a winner, probably. Yeah. Well, to that point, he raised there, Jordan. I think it's, we've we've said that about the San Francisco Shock of old. Mm -hmm. Take a shock player off that team, throw them on that roster. That roster is better. Yeah. Good point. Right. And so the best teams are that way. Yep. Moth. With your purple haze. Yeah, that's true. Even if he got benched towards the end of the season. But. Yeah, didn't, <laughs> didn't fit the meta, I guess. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of fitting the meta, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Pickham's result. So I got 11 points, guys. I thought I did really well. I got 11 too. Oh. But it wasn't enough. <laughs> um, so for me, what ruined me was obviously me suggesting that the shock were going to beat the dragons. So that, that didn't help. And then when I said that the fusion would beat the glads, that didn't help either. So that broke my literally half of my winner's bracket. Um, unfortunately, uh, the, uh, fuel losing to the hunters was not what I had predicted. Um, so 
unfor- you know, my lose and in my losers bracket was just all messed up because of the teams I had going into it. Yeah. But uh yeah, my 11 points was pretty cool. Yeah. I actually wound up with 23 points from the playoffs. Woo! Um like That's I say my, my entire winners bracket was correct. I had one one match that I got the score correct. Um and then I got points at the very beginning of the losers bracket. Rest of the losers bracket was shot and then I got you know 4 points for accurately predicting Shanghai would win in the final yeah. but I think that was basically a free square for most people. Yeah. Well I got I got 4 points on the Shanghai yeah, win. Yeah. But that yeah. For me it was kind of odd like uh all of my all of my points are from day 1 so I felt pretty good of myself. Well, not all of them. Like I got uh, from the Justice Reign game, I also got like a couple of points, but then it just falls apart and none of the matchups that I had predicted would... Not only like the, the score was wrong, but also like the teams participating. So I was already like, you know, not even interested in, in my pickems at that point. I was just looking at the game <laughs> as a viewer. Yeah. Round two in the loser's bracket. I had the correct teams, uh, but mm. both scores wrong. I, I thought the Glads were going to take out Atlanta at that point. In a 3-0 no. is actually what I predicted. Close, yeah. but not close enough. No. Did Did you see the uh, the best bracket, the number of points? I saw his bracket. It's insane. Yeah. 34 points is what uh, what he had to, to win. Um, for those that uh, don't know D. Hulky, uh, he is the... Uh, the guy behind the fantasy overwatch underground, essentially an overwatch <laughs> uh, content creator. He predicted the rain run all the way to the finals. His only, like one of his only mistakes was that he didn't think it'd be a four Oh, but everything else is like so close. It's scary. Well, okay. If you're, if you're into overwatch fan, like the, the fantasy sports side. Yeah. This, I mean, this, this is cred like i mean first of all i expect that if you're following as well as he probably is yeah you should perform that well mm-hmm. um but like it's kind of cool to see a content creator yeah you know get showcased like that get themselves 10g but but also there are probably like you know a hundred thousand brackets one of them is bound to like fall pretty close so i'm, maybe that I'm looking at his right now and it is impressive scary. yeah yeah <laughs> He didn't get all of them perfect, that's for sure. He Otherwise, got, he'd be a richer man. He got yeah, he'd be ten yeah. ten times ten G yeah. better. <laughs> he got almost the entire losers bracket exactly correct, with the exception of Atlanta Dallas. He gave Dallas two maps, and uh, they only got one to go to yeah. the final. That's the only one in the losers bracket. His mistake: he, he used common sense too much. He also gave Atlanta <laughs> okay. a map on the final. But this is the thing, like if we were just talking about common sense and you don't get Atlanta to the final, right? So maybe our common sense is not sensical. I think and uh, I call insider trading. He he saw the script, like part of it at least. It's all scripted anyways. I was going to say he pulled it back to the future and he got the almanac and flew back with it. Probably him changing the timeline is what ended up like Mm. changing a little bit of the score. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to also point out that uh, someone who finished in a, essentially a tie for second, although rank three, according to the Pickham site, Soren Markov. Soren Markov is a regular in Titans court. Well, congratulations, Soren. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like I, when I saw that name, I'm like, oh my God, I recognize that. That's actually what I noticed before I started. I'm like, why do I know this D. Hulking name? I, yeah, sure enough. It makes me wonder how many of these communities people like, like this are involved in. You know, you have to assume they are, they are the hardest of hardcore. They are the people that are, you know, living and breathing this stuff as much as I would love to live and breathe this. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I am not that hardcore, unfortunately. For that, I apologize to all of our listeners. I'm only moderate core. Moderate core. I was going to say soft core. I knew you I were. Oh, but um, Omni, you uh, you won uh, RSP Pickums. I mean, you had it locked up like, <laughs> I, it, after the the you know summer showdown. Essentially, I don't know. It came. It was pretty close with Kevin. Like he was breathing on my neck uh, for a couple of rounds there. Yeah, I uh, I peaked early. I had uh, <laughs> solid success in the May melee, and then f- kept forgetting to lock in picks. So you know, I'm just looking, and you were one spot behind me. I'm in fifth there. I, uh, and I, and I forgot for at least one entire cycle. So, so really I should be a lot lower. <laughs> That's what you're saying. No, I, I'm, I'm saying I could have beat Danimal above me in fourth, but I don't know if I would have grabbed third. I did win two stages and came second in another. So that's probably why. Yeah. I think if they do the pickums again next season, we as a podcast should maybe do a little bit more other than like shout outs on the show. I think maybe we, we incentivize it ourselves mm. by offering um, 10,000 likes. <laughs> Can we pull that off though? The 10,000 likes. Well, I was thinking, well, we can't, maybe, maybe we can do a hundred pennies. We can like hire those uh, shady companies, you know, offshore that do those fake likes, the bots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, no, I think <clears throat> if they if they bring Pickums back in some way, shape, or form, we as a podcast should should have something to uh, sure. to reward those who are who are involved. Um, disqualifying podcast hosts, obviously, <laughs> we can celebrate podcast hosts, but or do we? I don't know. We'll talk about that. Yeah. We'll flesh it out a little bit further. Um, back onto the Overwatch League, though, rewards were handed out. Uh, so the Rookie of the Year went to Pelican. Yeah, I was going to say, no surprise. Um, how's he doing? I actually haven't heard. I know he made the land trip. Mm. Was there ever any update as to how his health was? The Twitter. I didn't think to look that yeah, up. Yeah, ended up playing pretty well. Um, yeah. yeah, he certainly did. Um, and yeah, I mean, to your... To the point of the award, I think he was well-deserved. Did you guys see, um, I want to say it was John Spector, VP of the league. Uh, it may have been someone else in production, but they actually tweeted out the breakdown of, of the uh, votes. votes. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, and Pelican was far and away the uh, the pick for oh, yeah, he of the definitive. year. Um, How, who was like the second, or if you remember? I wish I remembered. I, I should have prepared, but... Uh, no, that's fine. Like, um, I'd also like to say that this is probably the award that was always like knocked out of the park, really, and was always on point. I think it was the first rookie of the year was Haxel, and then it was Alarm, and now with Pelican, yeah, it's uh, definitely a good, uh, good pick. 
Yeah, well, and, uh, yeah, it knocked out of the park, but it's it's the I feel the one with the least debate, which mm-hmm. I think we'll sort of get into as we sort of progress on, because you know, Coach of the Year, uh, Rush from uh, the Dallas Fuel. Sure. I feel it's hard to argue based on the success of the Dallas Fuel. Sure, but I think a part of it like comes down to the turner the turnaround from past seasons that they had, mm. because Dallas was so hard to cheer for before this season if you're basing it purely on success oh, you, you didn't want to cheer for uh, your boy zachary <laughs> um no no can't say i was uh can't say i was a dallas fan before uh yeah. seeing what they did this season so and Crypto i should was good though i should apologize as well i pulled up john specter's tweet there it was actually about the roll stars he tweeted out the breakdown of votes oh, for that okay. so uh if we talk about that i've got it up but anyways sure the one award, though, that I'll admit I was somewhat confused with was the Dennis Owalka Award. Um, and this is not a knock against its winner, Sparkle, from the Dallas Field this season. It's just that I feel that when we look at who's won the Dennis Owalka Award previously, Mickey, uh, Custa, uh, McGravy, does Sparkle measure up to those three? Again, it's like a question of what's the priority of that? Is is that like community outreach or, you know, interactions with the fans? It's odd. I guess it like, should be like a community outreach and stuff well, like. And when they were talking about Sparkle's, um, you know, winning of this, this trophy and this award, it was like how he, he, he knows how to engage and interact with fans, what have you. But for me, it's, it, to me, it's the, it's a community award. And I don't know, like, again, I, I feel bad because I'm trying, I'm saying like, I'm not sure sparkles the guy, but then if you were to say, well, who, who, who instead, I actually don't know Fred from this season. Hmm? Fred Wiener. Um, <laughs> I, I think in, in my mind, I wonder, I, I think your, your questions are valid, but I wonder how much of it is, um, a bit of the the cultural difference, you know. Obviously, Sparkle's the first um, first Asian descent person to win the award, um, and I'm I'm trying to be as politically correct as I can here, so I apologize um, if I mess anything up. But I I wonder, you know, how much we are seeing as three white Canadian males. Um, True. You know, he he may be more involved in communities that are closer to home for him including the Dallas community. Um, obviously we know they've had some live events and things like that as well. Uh, yeah. Throughout the seasons, restrictions are a little different down in Texas. Granted, not so different from Alberta, but I digress. Um, so I, I do wonder because the comparison points that we have in Custa, in McGravy, and I'm not sure who the other one was because I wasn't following the league back then. Mickey and I was actually going to point out Mickey is uh, a Asian background. Oh, is as well. it okay? He was a, a Thai uh, player. Oh, okay. I wish they, from Thailand. Yeah. And you're absolutely right, but I wish they would have shown a little bit more of that, sure. or I talked a little bit more about what led you know, to this. And, and that actually, maybe that's the point because if we consider like this season specifically, and Sparkle's relatively new introduction to it over the course of a pandemic, mm-hmm. maybe we're just not as aware mm-hmm. of how involved he is with the community sure. right like you know jordan you raise a good point dallas was in a different place um especially sort of as the, the later part of the summer 
rolled around. Like maybe there was more and we just didn't see it. You know, three Canadians who we've mostly been locked down except for the summer of fun or whatever it was that you got to experience. Yep. Um, but <laughs> I, 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 I like every, I, I'm willing to take back a little bit of what I said. I just, I think for me, I was looking at like, like McGravy and Custa to me are like, I can't argue with those. And even with Mickey, cause Mickey was like, he was community. Maybe it's just the pandemics. What's getting in the way of me understanding. Sparkle <laughs> One more thing. I, I don't think like every time they uh, went, not every time, but when they showed him the, the, you know, they announced the winner uh, showing a highlight of him twerking is <laughs> not helping your cause of like what makes uh Dennis Avelka award winner. Uh, yeah. I think, I think ultimately it's got to come down to definitions, right? If, sure, if yeah. it were clear what, not no offense to the league, but if it were clear what this award was for, maybe we would have a better picture or a better idea. Yeah. Um, and I think it should be because it does commemorate yeah. someone who's so important to, you know, the scene of Overwatch esports. Exactly. And, and to an extent, I mean, these things are always going to mean different things to different people, even, yeah. even with uh, the MVP award, right? Yeah. Some people will say, I mean, I think I talked about on the other episode that I was on, uh, the definition that I heard that I really liked was Sideshow saying to me, it's, I think it was Sideshow saying it's the player that you could pluck them from a team and that team's performance decreases drastically. And that was pretty clearly leave, um, yeah. for, for Chengdu, it's, like the, the amount of carry potential he had was it's, quite it's, insane, yeah. but yeah, I, I think it comes down to defining these things maybe a little more clearly. Yeah. Well, we have those discussions like decades now in, in sports ball, right? Yes. So. Absolutely. It will never <laughs> well, be. Well, okay. I mean, as an NHL fan, you don't understand how many times I'll see the league MVP be a player who, quite frankly, could be taken from the team and the team is no different. Yeah. They just happen true. to score the most points yeah. in the season. Like I score from the best team or like, yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, it there to me, you, yeah, Jordan, you said it best. Who is, like the MVP is the player that you take out because they're they're so valuable that there is a drastic shift in the the team itself. Sure, and I mean, yeah, I, I definition. You're right, Omni. To that point, definitions are very gray. Yeah, it's and it's hard. It's a hard comparison when it comes to traditional sports or meat sports as well, because I think, in part because of the roster size in part because of how many players are on the field at a time or, yeah. you know, field being the map in, in overwatch kind of thing. Um, you know, it's an entirely different ball game to, uh, continue with the sports analogies. Yeah. Um, speaking of, uh, some more awards, we have the role stars. Uh, so I'll just sort of quickly go through, uh, on the, uh, the DPS side, we had leave from the Chengdu hunters, sparkle from the Dallas fuel lip from the Shanghai dragons and Kevster from the Los Angeles gladiators. Um, I don't have a problem with these. In fact, with the roll stars, my problem was that there are only four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, and I, you know, you go and look at sort of the overwatch league and where they start sort of outlining, um, you know, like for, I'll use leave as an example, but I mean, he, not to suggest he doesn't deserve, he does, but like first and final blows for 10 second and total final blows, so on and so forth. But you go to sparkle and it's like only five bullet points. And I genuinely wonder 
how the rule stars, like what went into the decision to say, here's what qualifies this person is that much better. Is it statistical? Is it simply qualitative? Is it a combination of both? Um, it's this sort of maybe like a definition. And if it's only four spots, fine. But I feel in the, the DPS side, four seems to be a little light comparative to. Yeah, it adds up to like 12 players. Maybe they should do like an all league team, first team, second team, and third. And like that would be interesting. Hmm. I will leave uh, yeah. you like, I don't know, 18 spots. I almost wonder too if uh, you, you think about it from a standpoint of um the the hero select screen in Overwatch how many damage characters are there you have to <laughs> yeah, cover that's, that's sort of- as a damage player your pool in in this day and age in you know this season of Overwatch has to be so much wider than a tank or a support and that's obviously not to diminish those roles because all roles will serve a distinct purpose and everything but you are you know if your roster is capped at 12 you probably want, I mean, the most or the highest number of players on your team to be DPS players simply because there are the the most number of characters for them to play. Yeah. Well, and, and Justin, you know, from the Vancouver Titans, he's actually said this a couple of times now where if he was asked, okay, I need to go and supplement my bench. And if I had to go and move a player around, DPS is who I'm going to actually exactly. bring over to tank, who I'm going to bring over to support. Why? Because of their hero pool and the flexibility that's required, you can you can equate that to a potential tank or a potential support hero more than you can sort of do that the other direction. Yeah. And but uh, you know, it's if let's say there were six DPS, I'd probably raise the point. I don't believe six is enough. No, but I think like the selections are are fine. We we talked just oh, yeah. about you mentioned just the DPS. I don't see how you take one of these and put someone else instead and well that's the thing is like i, I don't it's not that i'm saying take one of the four yeah, out it's just, just that i feel that more by only having four yeah it restricted. takes away from other yeah you know, other world desert candidates and looking at the numbers on on john specter's tweet there maybe they're doing something like the criteria is how many votes they got because so for damage leave has well it is oh is it is that actually what it is? Yeah, and and so I think I believe, and that's the thing is, is it's quantitative, it's qualitative, like what goes yeah. into the thought process? Because there's when it came to roll stars, I believe Changsik got a vote. That's right. I heard. I think he mm. got. I think he got a vote from the Cha- one of the Chengdu coaches or something like that. Totally, totally out of left field, but yeah, it's the same one who had like uh, multiple weird picks, right? Mm-hmm. But like then, so this is the, here's the question that then gets raised is, are those weird picks throwaways? Mm. And if they're where there's one, there's likely more. Is it that this person is actually not throwing away picks? They're actually yeah. making them on an entirely different scale. Yeah. And that was it. He, he mentioned how it was like, uh, how they performed, uh, compared to his expectations on those mm. particular teams and situations. So it was like interesting, a different way to evaluate. And I guess like bringing more people in it somehow evens it out and, and makes it more fair. Uh, yeah. I think it's fine. Maybe add a little bit more spots that can, you know, you know, not do any harm. Maybe add those tiers like t- first team, second team, third team will add a little bit more spice to see who was the best well, of the best. And then a little bit below that. And, I actually like that a little bit better. And that doesn't actually add more spots necessarily, but if you had a first team, yeah, second yeah, team, yeah. third team, 
to me, it because then you can sort of like the argument then is looking at the team as opposed to the individual yeah. sort of role in its sure. sort of silo. Like what um, is the best silo- team you could construct out of the entire league, right? That will be your, now it'll be five, 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 and five. So, yeah. Um, speaking of silos, the tank role. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Fearless from the Dallas field, handman from the Dallas field, void from the Shanghai dragons and space from the Los Angeles gladiators. And who's right beneath that by only two points. Fate. Not Chang sick. <laughs> No, not quite. Chang six a couple more points yeah. below that. Um, and finally, wrapping things up, support. You got Shu in the Los Angeles Gladiators, Isiaki on uh, Shanghai Dragons, Fielder from the Dallas Fuel, and Lee Jagong from the Shanghai Dragons. Um, if you didn't happen to play for the Dragons of the Dallas Fuel, there was a good chance you weren't going to be a role star this season. Yeah. With respect to uh, our boy Lee, Space, Kevster. Yeah. And a shoe, but then you could say, "Well, geez, there are some glads there." Okay, fine. Stack teams. Uh, is that to say? Well, they are, and I again, I'm not, I don't take any one of those twelve names out of the spot that they're in. But if the roll stars came from three teams in this league, that's telling me it's not very well balanced. Yeah, probably. You could maybe take outfielder, put in Violet. I don't know. It's yeah, and I mean it, but that doesn't change. The... Yeah, it's it, and that's how it's gonna be. I think going forward, a lot, a lot of the time when you you'll have like three more dominant team or four dominant, hopefully four or five. But yeah. it happens a lot in other sports as well, unfortunately. No, I am, but again, I I am not taking accolades away from the 12 just to make that very clear one thing give everyone an award ribbons to everyone yeah. one thing that i think is medals. important to to kind of highlight too is um i, I think it was yiska on tactical crouch has once was talking about the roll stars and according to him and his sources these things do matter quite significantly uh having a roll star on your resume really does increase your value uh to a team and your signing your signing value um your dollar oh yeah everything. so it does very it's 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 almost too bad to see that like you know pelican our rookie of the year on the damage side only missed out on that fourth spot by three points um alarm over on the support side only missed out on the fourth spot by three points fate mm. by two so for them it's like Maybe that's it's, another uh, 10K in their pocket or something like that, right? Or uh, as Lightforce says, uh, get good, scrub. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, speaking of getting good, scrub, um, all you Bastion mains out there. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Overwatch 2. Let's touch on the reworks before we actually touch on the gameplay that we saw over the course of the weekend. Uh, the Bastion rework is the one... Um, that had, I mean, there's two we saw. Sombra also raised a, quite a bit of chatter, but the Bastion one is is interesting. Um, gone are the days of Bastion in his alt, you know, blowing the heck out of people on command. Instead, he's now an artillery <laughs> um, weapon that can drop like mini doom fists in three different like spots. Mortar yeah. shells. Yeah, like I, I actually, I, I have no problem with the the capability of this new alt, I kind of think it's neat. And the fact that you, you can see it happening, like in, in the current experience with Bastion in his tank form there, 
you're limited to how you can avoid that because the splash damage, if you're a squishy, deletes you. Yeah. This, it will delete you, but you can see it yeah. and you have the opportunity to then pick a direction or react. Yeah, and he's also super vulnerable. Obviously, you'll have to like hide away because you, you cannot defend Oh, himself. he's a junk rat. He's like, yeah, during uh, the tire for sure. It's nice. Yeah. I like the Bastion alt and I like how they try to make him more mobile and not just like a, a spinning turret. Uh, well, like, recon. I mean, did you, they described him? Oh, his his recon weapon fire rate, while it's been reduced, has no fall off, and the weapon spread, um, or has sort of fall off range has been increased. But no, he's more accurate and no spread because yeah. he's now like the sniper he should it's be. It's kind of like, like Ash sorry. in a way, like boom, boom when the aiming down sights. Uh, Bastion, I'm less worried about, but like the, the Sombra kind of freaked me out a little bit more. I like to okay, sticky well, bomb too. <laughs> yeah, well, the 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 thing that I think people are reacting most about the Bastion is that when he goes into Sentry mode, he's like, a, he, now now you have to deal with this this turret that can light you up in place, but this turret now can move. Yeah. The the one thing I mean, I agree with pretty much everything you guys are saying. Um, the things that I actually found, or a couple of things that I found quite interesting that I don't know if most people fans of the overwatch league will really consider are i actually liked how they talked about the design of bastion in terms of how he looks and making yeah. him a little more refined a little you know yeah smoothing some of those edges you know it's like going from the old iphone 4 to no maybe it was <laughs> 5 to 6 where they rounded the edges and everything yeah but also to think about the fact that maybe i shouldn't be bringing this up on a an overwatch league podcast but thinking about the fact of lore wise he used to go into sentry mode and be completely immobile. Well, yeah. what's a what's a natural way to improve that? Make him able to move while doing it. Yeah, or to me, yeah, um, or, yeah, yeah, the opposite, the opposite exactly. of what I said. And so they, you know, Torbjorn, whoever, threw some tires on oh. him when he does that, right? So I kind of like that that progression in a physical sense of Bastion as a right. character makes a lot of sense to me. Um, whereas if it was the opposite, people would be going he used to be able to move and suddenly he can't when he's in turret mm -hmm. mode. So I, I like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a big change. One thing I wanted, one thing I wanted to point out though, and I think this is what people tend to overlook when it comes to Bastion. Cause they, in their mind, they're thinking modern day Bastion who now can like roll around cause Torb's upgraded his ride. The reconfigure process takes eight seconds. Mm -hmm. So that's eight seconds of Bastion being vulnerable, you know, Autobots roll yeah. out. <laughs> okay. And then once he's done that, it's 10 seconds before he can reconfigure again. Yeah. So, you know, I feel that they're adding a significant amount of vulnerability as the trade-off. He can't self-repair anymore. Mm -hmm. That's been replaced by that sticky tactical. It's actually not sticky. It's bouncy. It's a tactical grenade. I think it's bouncy and uh, then an sticky. A yeah. Grenades bounce off walls, um, but stick to enemies and floors. Enemies yeah. and floors. So it can hit a wall uh, and bounce. But if you shoot it at it the floor, assumedly, it'll just... Okay. Bouncy and yes. sticky. Got it. <laughs> it would have been cool if Torbjorn could have fixed him, you know, like with the turrets. <laughs> Adding to some of that synergy <laughs> from the lore. Because you, you hey. I always hit those bastions yeah. when they're in turret mode. It does nothing. <laughs> it's kind of cute. That, that actually you know, is like, a good idea. I like that. Yeah. Instead of self repair, because <laughs> yeah, well, that adds totally. that adds synergy. Like, right? um, but then it creates this dependency between the two heroes. 
Kind of like a pharmacy? Yeah, well, pharmacy is fine, but I don't know. Yeah. I like the well, lore look at, look implications. Brigida. Too. She throws she can throw heel packs. But it's to any hero, right? People. But that'll be just the two. But with, sure, but with Torb being able to like So Tor, Torb can repair Zen. <laughs> beat Zen around a bit. <laughs> so I was gonna say, so what you're saying is Torb can hit anyone with his magical hammer and it'll heal them, but I guess sticking to the robot ones would uh, make a little more sense, so yeah, I like that. I like the lore implications too. That like usually Torb is the one pregame that he has all those you know misgivings about the Omnics and robots, and suddenly he has a change of heart. That's mm-hmm. that's cute. I like. Mm-hmm. We need more lore in Overwatch for sure, and yeah. uh, and Sombra feels busted totally. <laughs> okay, so I, this is but this is the thing. This is the reason why I let off with Bastion. People are like, oh my god, ba-. like I actually said, oh just give Bastion his OG shield from like the oh, Alpha no. and call it a day, yeah. and people are freaking out. I like Sombra. Okay, once she's she's gone and faded, she can hack with wild abandon. Like you know, boop, and you're like, but you're gonna have to like spray and pray together. And that damage. Can you imagine someone who's hacked and discorded? He'll just be erased in a second. Well, and the trade off here is that damage reduced from eight to seven. Oh. But okay, I'm sorry that that one tick <laughs> when you've now also reduced the spread means very little. And EMP oh, damage. by the way, I hacked you, Reinhardt. Yeah. You have no way to deal with me. I'm going to shoot you from a distance that your hammer can't reach me. And by the way, you're deleted. You know, it's it's the the entire game looks off right now. It's, we saw a little bit of a uh, of of you know pro play, but it is super super early. It's not even alpha. They need to put this game out maybe to pros, maybe like some small alpha public beta uh my two main main points of concern if we're talking a little bit more about the macro is and they discussed this is um you know the devs in their pursuit of action there's like this knob between it being a moba and on the other end of this uh, spectrum we have the fps i'm afraid they pushed it a little bit too far towards the fps side and the other part is how much time will it take to make those changes uh, somewhat balanced again because it took Overwatch, frankly, years to to get better at this, right? Those cycles of adjustment things. And 5v5 is such a big reset button to all of that because right now it looks like a mess, frankly. And that's one point of concern. The other is like Overwatch might actually lose what makes it so unique and, and rewarding in a way, what makes it so Overwatch in a sense. That was, that, you know, oh, go ahead, Jordan. I was just going to say that is something that I think um, a lot of people might not have necessarily registered when watching the Overwatch 2 play is the pace that everything was happening at. Because what we're used to in Overwatch a lot of the time is sort of a setup, engage, fight reset the the pokes engage exactly poke comp obviously relies very heavily on that um you know dive in a lot of ways does as well because you're setting up and then you dive in and that's when you initiate um and when it came to the the you know pro match that they showed in the middle of the grand final there a lot of what we saw was go 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 it seemed like Like a team death match very little yeah exactly very little downtime it was almost team death match on the point which in this case was a push map so the little robot dude um and i think a part of that or at least maybe i hope 
a part of that is simply because of the game mode because mm-hmm. it is push and so push right. i mean obviously the whole idea is kind of this tug of war so it is centralizing the fight but the fight is constantly moving um whereas if we'd seen a different uh a game map like an assault or something uh, i guess we wouldn't yeah. have assault anymore um escort then maybe it would have been a little bit more what we what we expect traditionally where yeah. one team sets up and they're there and we're waiting for the other team to come in kind of thing. Um, so I do wonder how much that plays into things, but I, it, it did feel a lot more uh, Call of Duty in some ways. Okay, and that was the point I was going to raise, is that I w- how much of this is to bring alignment to what we get from a yeah. Call of Duty? Like I have my complaint with Call of Duty is that I find the gameplay to be too frenetic for me. You know, when asked, Chris, why do you prefer Battlefield over Call of Duty? Battlefield is a slower game. It's one that I feel I can participate in and have an impact. Call of Duty, it's just too quick for me. I don't enjoy that. And I think that for me is the biggest worry, having watched what we saw with the sort of the pros playing, is Overwatch as a game getting to a point that I can't keep up with. Because if that's the case... That's not what's going to take me out of the game. I still enjoy playing mystery heroes. I am in Mm. arcade all the time. It's a game I enjoy playing. It's my speed. There's opportunities for me every which way. But if Overwatch 2 introduces this frenetic Call of Duty gameplay, I just can't react and keep up. And I genuinely wonder, and this is a, a problem the game has had ever since they introduced the competitive scene. Are they finally conceding that they're they're building a game with competitive in mind because it's always been a tug yeah. of war and i i the thing i point out and i know it's a very small sample when we look at the somber rework her hacking speed and cooldown are reduced but it's like the trade-off is oh by the way when she hacks health packs it's going down from 60 to 30 seconds duration yeah when is it that you've ever seen pros hack a health pack and genuinely put the health pack to use as the support hero mm-hmm. Not not that frequently. Where is that health pack, the support hero? The casual play. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm just afraid that, like I said, they might create more problems than trying to solve the ones that were hurting Overwatch 1. And, and for me, I don't know, I might be like in a minority. To me, it was always the lack of new content that hurt Overwatch the most. And they they found some somewhat of a sweet spot eventually after years of tinkering with the balance, especially when they started to make those adjustments uh, much, much faster. Because in the past, when we had like the moth meta or whatever happened, it took like months for them to adjust. And now that they've had the cycle, it's one of the one of the things that still uh, works well for Overwatch 1, because we're not getting content or anything, is those like shorter cycles of adjustments. So I'm afraid with that little big, huge reset, things will be so whack or like not really in a place where it's competitive, not on the the uh, pro side and neither on, on, you know, even mystery hero side. And it might be feel like, oh, we're, we have to rebuild again and stuff like it. Fortifying your house, so to speak, they just broke everything down. They removed the foundations and they're now trying to rebuild something that's entirely different in a way. And it, there's like a conflict there between like trying to bring in a new crowd to Overwatch that might hurt like the core player base of Overwatch that 
even through the that drought of of you know no added heroes or no added maps we're still coming back to this game because nothing is like it really nothing out there is like overwatch and that's fair to say whether you hate it or love it it's you know it's unique in that sense and i'm afraid they're trying to make it not as unique that's like at least my fear now hopefully that doesn't come to pass but yeah that's my main concern if i had to guess i think you're right i think (laughs) i i think they look at the call of duty numbers and i don't just mean call of duty league i mean call of duty is every year highest selling game on the charts maybe grand theft auto 5 because it will never die is the only game that tops it but well i'm gonna be playing gta 5 on my ps exactly exactly (laughs) um competing for playtime with skyrim yeah that's right but you look at the numbers that call of duty does the audience that it appeals to um which is a far larger audience because it has a more realistic look to it it's much more accessible as much as parents would argue that I mean, I'm a parent myself, that, that it's more violent than a game like Overwatch, therefore less accessible. I love real guns, too. It's exactly. You look at a game like <laughs> Fortnite, which is, although cartoony and art style, more comparable to Call of Duty in some ways, because again, gun go bang, gun go shoot, point and shoot. That is the root of it, whereas Overwatch has so much more going to it, uh, going into it and behind it and learning how to play it and everything. So I think... I do think it would be crazy not to look at the influence that Activision is having here. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, I've said it before the blizzard blizzard is in name only. Yeah. It's basically suits true. making decisions, suits making decisions. Well, I mean, <laughs> like when they, when the merger occurred, you had two distinct entities. It is no, there are no two long, no longer two distinct entities. Blizzard is simply a developer and a label yeah. that's underneath an Activision. And it plan. stayed right. like that for a long time too. Um, yeah. You know, I think we still saw those their games coming out, and and Overwatch One was a product of that old old development. We we know that Overwatch originally started as a follow up to World of Warcraft. It was Project Titan or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it was what what I mean. Yeah, it's all yeah, about it, it, it morphed and, and changed and became Overwatch. Um, <laughs> But ultimately, I think, you know, over the years, the influence of Activision has kind of seeped through things and staying away from all of the, you know, lawsuits and everything that are ongoing and such like Mm -hmm. that, staying away from that side of things that may have always been present. There was a philosophy behind the design and the games and even just the attitude of the developers of the it's ready when it's ready. You know, we release it when we're done. And that's clearly no no longer the case, right? Yeah, I, I agree. And when just like you said, when it was a successor to WoW, that was the big trend. And then MOBAs exploded mm-hmm. and then it transitioned to that. Yep. And I feel that's kind of like hap- what happens now. The trend is, again, pointing towards the, the sh- gun go shoot. Exactly. It might still happen in Overwatch 2 for sure. And it, it reminds me, I don't remember which game it was, but it was something inside of EA and, you know, the game director was brought in to to speak in front of a lot of these suits, like pitching his idea for an IP. And the suits were like, okay, you see, this is FIFA and this is Ultimate Team and this generates us so-and-so. Add that to your game because that's the big money bringer. And that's what is going to happen F-E-T. with Overwatch for sure. It's inevitable, unfortunately. I think, 
And EA, I think, is a good example of of a once they found their secret sauce, they want to have that secret sauce in almost every experience that you know throws their logo on yeah. the on the um, cartridge. In the case of an old school player like me, I feel you're right. Activision. I mean, Activision is a publicly traded company. They have shareholders that they need to Appease. to answer to. These shareholders are expecting dividends and or increase in share prices so you don't do that by spending big burn on development on a title that's not going to then cash in a commissary amount of money overwatch is not going to be the title that to use a a, a blizzard antigen the the wow killer like everyone was looking for the wow killer and and with without like jeff kaplan who's always it was at least reported that he was, you know, on the forefront fighting to keep, you know, loot boxes they were or Overwatch as it were. I'm even more concerned now more than ever. Yeah, I, I think one thing that I wanted to also bring up when it comes to the concept of Overwatch Two, I see so much discussion about Overwatch Two as being this new game, and I don't see it as being a new game. I'm not excited because it's not a new game. I wish it were now. Gen- <laughs> well, okay, I genuinely believe. The first failure was calling it Overwatch 2. If they had called it Overwatch 2.0 or something that that essentially said it was an expansion on an existing universe where we're finally going to go and enhance things. And yeah, we're going to charge you a little more money to get this because, you know, look at all the content we've gotten over the years for the cost of the the original title. It's there's no other game out there. I think that has ever done that. Maybe GTA Fortnite. I mean, now, yeah, Fortnite. yes, now, now yes, we are yeah. seeing that, but, but overwatch two, overwatch to, yeah. again comes from an era where that wasn't commonplace. It was groundbreaking that a game like the Witcher released all of their DLC for absolutely free. They didn't charge anyone a dime for yeah. all of that. And that was huge for them. And that's kind of a, a large part of why they garnered such an audience. And then cyberpunk happened, but um, wah, wah. exactly. But now we have, the Apex Legends, the Fortnites, the Call of Duty Warzone, um, which have arguably set an example and established this is what it should look like or this is what it can look like. And Overwatch, towards the beginning, was groundbreaking because they were doing here's two new heroes, you know, twice a year kind of thing. I'm not sure what the exact schedule was. And that was awesome. And it felt like new maps every couple of patches and things like that. Yeah. And again, it it was awesome. It felt like, you know, this constant feed of new content, constant tweaks to the game. But then as these other games came out and we saw them doing it even better, it became clear that the Overwatch team wasn't keeping up and wasn't changing and wasn't adapting. And then I think uh, things kind of probably started to become clear that they were focusing on another game at that point, which would probably be Overwatch yeah. 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and again, this is to the, that part. The reason I say Overwatch 2.0 is that what are we get? Are we getting a drastically different Overwatch? It'll look different. We're getting some reworked heroes. We're getting a new mode. We're getting a PVE mode. Yeah, maybe we haven't actually seen a lot about no kidding about that. Right. Which concerns me. But the thing about this is that ultimately, are we simply paying for better graphics? And if we are, I genuinely worry about a player base who will then say, why do I have to, like, what am I paying for? 
Because if if it's if you're paying for better graphics, there will be so many people to say, look, like Call of Duty Warzone. I never had to pay for that game. Yeah, they're, even though they're not equating to every time they drop, you know, twelve bucks or whatever it is on two thousand <laughs> in-game credits to buy the battle pass. And they kind of success uh, succeeding with the opposite crowd as well, like succeeding in double quotations that they're like putting a, a person or people like us who are really looking forward to that game and like to me early time like. Uh, sure, I'll pay for more maps and more more heroes, better graphics. It's it's a better Overwatch that I know. Uh, it it will probably be my, my favorite game ever. Like Overwatch is now for me, at least as a, mm-hmm. as a, comp- a competitive player, that's the only multiplayer game I play right now. And then they make all these changes, and now I'm also not really sure if I'm going to enjoy it that much. Even like, and I'm I'm playing Overwatch almost daily when I can. So it's 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 weird that like. You they they're not making any any part of the crowd happy about what's going on. Well, it's just it, they're in a weird space. They they truly are, and it you so many weird uh, decisions really. Now, what, I'm trying to think if it was in the High Noon podcast, uh, Discord, or or where it was. I saw someone make a comment about, or might have been on Reddit. There is that you look at the metrics uh, or the you know viewer metrics over the course of the playoffs and the grand finals, and the, where the segments that mentioned overwatch too. And someone's like, do they not realize they've had an opportunity to have a captive audience each and every time they were to go and tease out a little more overwatch two or, or whatever happens to be and have it. Now I know that that's not been the blizzard way. And maybe we're seeing this change under the Activision way or whatever it might be, but we have, we don't, we don't know what we're talking about because we truly don't know what the game will be. The only thing that's been made very clear at this point is that the overwatch league in 2022 is going to be playing on by their own admission an early version of the game they're so stingy with with anything that has to do with the game like show us silhouettes like blacked out characters of of heroes something that we were getting in the past there's like nothing except of well i I mean i i think back to the you know that sort of animated movie that we saw at blizzcon in 2019 where you know like We've not even gotten lore content to drive the story yeah, a little things bit. Things are further. not right like, behind the scenes, I'm sure. You know, I, I just I feel like even if they had done that, they've you know, so we've got the we, we we know something's happened. We don't know if it's a reset of the of Overwatch or or what have you. We we look at the characters that were there. We have an eclect a collection of some, but then then you look at the photo, there's like Advance that a little yeah. bit. You don't have to go and tell us everything. Just continue to tease, promote, generate excitement. I'm, I'm very concerned. Oh, go ahead. That's okay. I was just going to say, I think a big part of it is a question of identity. They, they've they been struggling to figure out how do we want to present this game? Because for the first little yeah. while, it was the lore. It was the co-op multi, uh, sorry, co-op single player, co-op story mode is kind of what I'm trying to say. Um yeah. And then very suddenly that got dropped and it was a shift and it was maybe once Jeff was out of the picture and then it was a shift to focusing on the PVP and it was, let's focus on what we've already got. Let's focus on the audience we already have in the Overwatch League and let's show off the competitive side. And I think very quickly it became, okay, so how much of each side are we actually getting? We've seen screenshots of the one side. We've even, that side was even playable at uh, BlizzCon the one year. 
and we did see yeah we had xqc leave so team long Canada before to go exactly so yeah and it, it's just it's kind of like what do you guys want this to be and how do you want to present it to your audience um you can have both like it's not uncommon for for shooters to have a single player story mode and campaign um but you have to understand how to approach yeah. that. And it's really kind of interesting because I actually, I think you hit the nail on the head a while ago, Chris, when you said um, EA has their sort of secret sauce in loot boxes. And that's the element they push to pretty much all of their games now. Dude, I think Activision... Plants versus Zombies yes. has... It's uh, surprise mechanics. But yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I think that Activision has decided that their secret sauce is Call of Duty. What is Call of Duty doing? How can we reproduce that in other games? And that's where you see the PvP leaning more towards the shooter side. That's where you probably see things like Battle Pass coming in, which I'll be honest. Crossplay came over from there too. Yep. I don't, I mean, and that's a good thing. I love crossplay. Yeah, Um, that's good for sure. I, I actually am a big fan of a Battle Pass. I would much rather they offer the game for free, get people in the door, and then make me pay 20 30, they want to eat bucks. the pie and leave it whole that's the problem and that's why there are so yeah. many conflicting things even about the gameplay itself or how yeah. they presented it that they're just not clear on what it is and why should anyone be excited about it like exactly both casuals are like confused by it and and us who play the game so regularly are confused by it so yeah. it, it it the more i i read and see about it the more i feel bad emotions about this game is like as if something is going really wrong behind the scenes and and i hope it's not the case and i i honestly like are you really gonna start the season in april playing this game it's weird apparently but you know to sort of tie this up i want to keep an open mind i truly want to i'm simply finding it difficult because I'm finding I'm forgetting more of what I once knew. Like it, it's it's like with the Titans. It's not. I'm, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It's it's. I'm not even. It's not even a part of consideration. It's not a matter of keeping an open mind. It's not in my mind. Like I, the fact we're talking about PvP, I suddenly have been sitting here thinking, have they have they said anything since BlizzCon 2019 about which? Like I don't think they've about the PVE. Outside of Jeff in, I think, 2020 had had made a comment. Like, we haven't seen anything about the PvE, and it, could it have been that that's just been dropped? I mean, it won't be the first game that had a core element just not make it to production and sometimes yeah. never I ship at all because, hey. I don't think it'll be dropped. I suspect they've put far too much effort into it at this point, and I suspect yeah. that's a part of why they are now having the problems they're having is because they were largely focusing on that. They heard the complaints that everybody said, well, this doesn't look like Overwatch 2. It looks like Overwatch expansion pack. And that's when they kind of went, we need to do more. And then shareholders started to get involved and say, why is this game taking so long? Why isn't this game shipping? Why don't we have a release date? Why don't we have a beta? And suddenly they said, okay, well, the single player is coming along. Maybe they have let's say two chapters ready. They have a Lucio story Mm -hmm. and they have a tracer story and they're planning a whole arc of 10 chapters. Well, guess what? Oh, build it out. It becomes easy to ship the PVP side 
whenever right. it's ready. Yeah. Maybe do that as the free mode, just like Warzone, uh, just like Call of Duty's Warzone. Make that totally free. And then you want to play those chapters one and two, you pay 40 mm -hmm. to 60 bucks. You get chapters one and two on day one. And then we're going to release three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten yeah. over the year, yeah, over two years. So, we're looking with with their goal of releasing, you know, have pros playing on in season in the upcoming season. They just uh, they admitted that themselves that they're like, okay, the game as it is right now, fix it up, make it playable, and at the core, it's the PvP. No matter how yeah. many like cutscenes or yeah. stories they're going to put into it, they can always attach them later mm -hmm. into the core game. Well, and this goes to the question originally if you owned overwatch you paid nothing for for the upgraded version yeah. outside of, you got you had to pay to get the stuff that wasn't there but everything you had was upgraded i now wonder if that will still be the case prepare your wallet my friend yeah and on actually jordan raising the sort of slow trickle of the pve content hearthstone's been doing it mm -hmm. forever yep well, and World of Warcraft. I mean, that's there's a, an internal yeah. property. World of Warcraft is a regular cycle of that kind of thing. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's it's not like Blizzard doesn't have experience with this kind of thing. And on the Activision side, it's not like they don't have experience with it either. Because realistically, yeah. Call of Duty is a similar product each year. Different skins, sure. Different guns, sure. Different balancing, sure. But at its core, Call of Duty plays the same. Point yeah. and shoot. That's the root of Call of Duty. It is highly reproducible. That's why they have three different AAA developers that make a new Call of Duty it. every single year. Well, it's, you can't pump them out without that exactly many working in in alternating yeah. fashion. Yeah. Anywho, um, obviously we've said all this, and then tomorrow we'll learn more about Overwatch Two and the fact it's pretty much ready and the beta launches next weekend. But uh, until such time, one final note. And this is actually news that sort of broke over the last couple of days. Activision Blizzard has settled a discrimination lawsuit. Nice. Yep. They've set aside $18 million paid away. In, a, in a fund to um, support those who have been discriminated or harassed. Uh, they're not admitting any wrongdoing. I mean, as most settlements generally are, it's the... Um, we're not admitting anything, but Hey, we're just such a nice group of people. Here's some cash to, to, to help out those who've, you know, needed it. But I just don't like, <sighs> there's something about this that just doesn't sit right with me based on everything that has come to light. And I don't know if this settlement is like all encompassing. Cause we had the state of California, obviously. No, that's just the one I think. The SEC was investigating, yeah. and then the the actual federal employment standards or um, an equity branch had been involved. Like it just there is a there's rot that needs to be cut from this organization, and eighteen million dollars is not it. I think what I saw, or I think I saw a tweet that said something along the lines of, in terms of Bobby Kotick's salary, Bobby Kotick being the head or the, the head honcho at Activision, it's something like 0.78% of his yearly salary. And that says to me that he wipes his behind with $18 million. And that's why it doesn't matter. Yeah. 
actions speak louder than words and dollars. And the real interesting thing will be if any real change comes from everything Activision Blizzard has gone through. And obviously we've seen some evidence of that, but ultimately there's a good chance we will never know unless people speak up about things that are going on. Yeah. I think, and I mean, well said about the 18 million, we haven't seen anything more than performative yeah. change and performative words. Like, and you know, it, uh, in, in fairness, they could make drastic changes and I might sit here and say, I uh, it just doesn't, it's not enough for me. You're, you have to now there's, it comes down to trust. You know, it's, it's the saying goes, um, trust is easily lost, but hardly earned. They've lost trust. You don't build it up overnight. You don't build it up with money. You build it up over time and, you know, continually proving that you are trustworthy again. It is a difficult thing for me to trust. Um, but I mean, I'm just a lowly podcaster, so what does it matter? The only thing I can do is to continue to share with those who are listening what's going on so you can make an informed decision. Anywho, this has been a long episode, <laughs> a whole lot longer than I had envisioned, but I think we did a really good job. In fact, uh, you know, Jordan, you seem to be, you know, doing this with, with ease, like, you know, you interested in, in coming back maybe for another show. I could probably pencil you guys in. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, check your schedule. You know, I, I, I can't pay you Omni. Unfortunately, he, he's paid far too much. I can't afford to, to pay you, but if he wants to share his cut, <laughs> We can we can we can start low and, and work something out. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it's good to have you here. Um, obviously, for those listening, I don't imagine uh, you know Jordan is a surprise. You know, Mister Doctor JM. He's got one man watch point. You can find that podcast in every podcast application out there. And if you don't, let him know. I'm sure he'll add it. Uh, it's a phenomenal show. It recaps everything that you need to know about the Overwatch League, about Overwatch itself. Um, he'll share with you all sorts of you know different news, um, provide you opinion and, and feedback on on what it is he's heard. Uh, Jordan is just a pretty darn smart, intelligent guy who can talk for an hour and keep me engaged. You're just upping his salary as you go, you know, with all these accolades and and compliments. One might argue <laughs> I'm, I'm he's a podcast role star. That's for, true. Uh, plat chat here, guys. Nice. This is just an entry. <laughs> Yeah, yeah but uh, but no thanks for thanks for swinging in obviously and in, in joining uh, uh omni and i today but uh, as you already know it's it's time to talk about some final words of wisdom and i'm going to throw it over to you first when you say you who are you referring to <laughs> oh, I, I was Jordan. like did okay. i miss him call on me or um yeah sorry there's more there's two you's the you 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 but not the you 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 okay that's okay. Um, I am ill-prepared for the wisdom this week, so I'll just Fire say him. congratulations to all the winners, and uh, thanks to you guys for having me on for this. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. On I actually ha prepared a, a dad joke for you, uh, Chris, in, in relation to the end of the season. So... Why was the robot couple's anniversary in the fall? I don't know. Why was it in the fall? They were automated. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> oh.
Well, what do you call a rhinoceros uh, in a phone booth? What? Stuck. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we can't, uh, you know, go lower than this. <laughs> so I, I'm going to, you know, go off the rails a little bit. Uh, a gaming community that I'm part of. We're all playing New World right now. It's the, the current uh, game of uh, interest for the next 15 days. We're promoting the the group or the company, as it's known in uh, in New World, and uh, the recruitment message includes a different dad joke each time. Very nice. Oh, so that I mean that shows either maturity or immaturity, but either way, I'd want to be part of a company that uses dad jokes for recruitment. Gotcha. But uh, as we wrap this show up, obviously, if you're listening and you have made it to this point, thank you so much. If you want to check us out, it's readysetpwn.com. It's a very newly well-developed, not-so-much basic website. Um, word to those who have not uh, learned from my uh, mistakes, do that by backing up your own website and all of the data involved before deleting it. Um, you can find us on Twitter at readysetpwn and on Facebook at readysetpwn uh, as well. Jordan, you can find him at Sir Dr. JM. Omni, you can find him at Omni Strife. Myself, Chris, I'm at Lightforce. On behalf of the three of us, and Jordan, who may be back for another episode, who knows? Catchphrase! Thank you.